right, well, hey, that experiment was a really, instead of doing like that trust fall or anything like that, we did an experiment to see if they trust me. And there's reasons why they don't trust me, right? My kids don't trust me. They always say, like, I have a face or I have this thing. Like, Dad, we know you're going to do something, right? We know it's, and, and I do. I love pranks. I love doing those things. But typically, I do them over and over and over that people start not trusting me. Addison is freaked out in the office. When I walk in, he's like, a, he's like, uh, uh. I'm like, easy, bro. I'm just walking to my desk. And he's freaked out because I do stuff to him. But so that experiment was to see if they trusted me. Today, we're going to be uh, learning or talking about a story about how Jesus did an experiment, per se, to see if his disciples would trust him. And the story uh, that we're going to be talking about is when Jesus walked on water. So kids, how many of you guys have ever heard of the story about when Jesus walked on water? Raise your hand. Okay. Parents, raise your hand if you've ever heard about the story of when Jesus walked on water. Yep. So we've all probably heard about this story, right? If you've gone, if you grew up in the church, if you went to kids' ministry, it's a story, but it's one of my favorite stories because it is a story in which I say, oh my goodness, how did this happen? And the faith uh, of this one man. And who was the other man in the story? Anybody? Peter. What did Peter do? Did, did he walk on water as well? Yeah, he did. Peter also walked on water. And we find this story in Matthew 14. So you guys can turn there. Uh, but as we do that, uh, my hope today is that you guys will uh, see that Jesus is who he says he is. And so today we're going to be talking about three things. Remembering God's power increases our trust. Remembering our fears cripples our trust. And remembering God is good casts out all fear. All right, so as you guys have turned there, uh, we're going to be looking at this story. Jesus wasn't the only one that got out, or got out onto that water. It was also Peter. Peter had a lot of faith. And, and what do we know about Peter? Well, Peter was one of the 12 disciples. He followed Jesus from an, uh, the start of Jesus' ministry. Peter was raised on the waters as a fisherman. He had a fishing business, and Jesus said, leave that all behind and come and follow me. So Peter had a decision to make. Am I going to continue fishing for, uh, for fish, or am I going to do something else? And what does Jesus say? Well, you're not going to catch fish, but you're going to be a fisher of men. So Peter does that, and he leaves it all behind, and he says, I'm going to follow Jesus because this Jesus I've heard about, and I've read about, and I think that he might be the guy that, that we're seeking. So Jesus, or Peter leaves it all behind, and he follows Jesus throughout uh, all, as Jesus walked, Peter walked. He was by his side the whole time, and Jesus, or Peter was able to uh, listen to Jesus' teachings. He was able to uh, watch how Jesus interacted with people, but he also was there to watch these miracles that Jesus was performing. And... Uh, his faith continued to grow. And so Peter, he was enthusiastic, he was strong-willed, he was impulsive, and at times even a little brash, right? But each time he interacted with Jesus, some of that settled in his heart a little bit. Jesus saw these miracles like, or Peter saw these miracles of Jesus turning water to wine, driving out spirits from people, catching ridiculous amounts of fish, healing the leprosy, making the lame walk, the blind see... 
He also uh, brought the dead back to life and he calmed the sea. On one instance, Peter even saw Jesus miraculously heal his mother-in-law. And each time this happened, Peter's faith grew a little bit more. And so that's what happens. When we see God move, it grows our faith a little bit more. I've had this happen in my life, and I'm sure you guys have too. Uh, I grew up kind of in a poor family, and so oftentimes we had to rely on people's generosity. There was times where our, our cupboards were empty, the fridge was bare, and we had to pray and say, God, we don't know how this is going to happen. And somehow, God always answered. Our cupboards became full, our fridge was our, always filled, and as, from an early age, my faith was, uh, was expanded because of that, those instances. When Courtney and I got married, we kind of lived paycheck to paycheck, as a lot of newlyweds do, and we looked at our bills, and there's times where we would say, hey, how are we going to pay this bill? I don't know. And we'd see people come to our door, and they're like, I don't know exactly why, but God told us to give you this. We'd see envelopes placed in our screen door underneath our car windshield wiper, and each time we said, thank you, God. And that not only did it grow my faith, it grew my wife's faith, it grew our kids' faith because they could see how what we prayed for, God was doing. It wasn't that uh, things were disconnected. It was connecting our faith to God. Some of you guys have experienced that same thing. And it might, you might not have experienced the same as me, but you guys have gone through it as well. right? You guys have seen marriages healed, things that were very broken. You said, no way. Only God can do this, and God did it. Some of you guys had addictions, and you said, I can't do it on my own, but God freed you from addiction. Maybe some of you guys uh, overcame hardship or uh, relationships were mended. You, we've all experienced it in some way or some fashion where God has showed up when we didn't think that there was any way out, and God showed up. So I, I saw firsthand in my life through these instances from a young kid even until now, I see these instances of how God shows up, shows up, shows up. But it's also what I was taught. I was taught by my parents that I could trust in God, that he was worthy to be trusted. And then I went to kids' ministry, and I heard about it through the stories. Right, kids? You guys hear stories, and it all points to Jesus, saying, Jesus is who he says he is. And we say, yes. And so, parents, I want to encourage you to send your kids to kids' ministry because there's a foundation that's being built back there as it did in me. Well, what was Peter taught? Well, Peter undoubtedly heard about these stories of, of a coming king, one who would rescue him, one who would free him. And uh, as I was doing my research this week, I came across a couple Old Testament passages that Peter may have read about. First one's in Habakkuk 3.15. It says, you trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of the mighty waters. Listen to this one. Some of you guys have probably read this if you're going through the, uh, year, the reading plan, the chronological reading plan, right? You start in Job. So Job 9, 2 through 10, it says this. Truly I know that it is so, but how can a man be in the right before God? If one wished to contend with him, one could not answer him once in a thousand times. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength, who has hardened himself against him and has succeeded. He who removes mountains, and they know it not, when he overturns them in anger, who shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble. 
Who commands the sun and it does not rise? Who seals up the stars? Who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea? In another version it says, he who treads on the waves. So one characteristic in the Old Testament uh, that we can look at is God is one who treads on water. One who walks on water. So at this time, Peter's trust was an all-time high. He just experienced miracle after miracle after miracle. Man, he was walking on water. Figuratively, not literally, just yet. And now, let's go to the passage. Matthew 14 says, Immediately, Jesus... It says, immediately he, Jesus, made the disciples get in the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. So let's pause there. So what crowds is he talking about? In all four Gospels, it talks about a miracle of great magnitude. This miracle was the feeding of the 5,000. So people, just like Peter, had heard about a coming king. And so they wanted to see. They heard this guy was healing people and raising dead people to life again. And they said, we have to go. So they canceled their vacation plans and said, let's go follow this guy. And so gather, or gather, or crowds would gather and gather and gather. And this one instance, it says there was 5,000 men. Okay? It could have been anywhere between 5,000 and 20,000 people. Okay? Think about the population of Cody. Okay? That's half of that. So people came to hear this one guy speak. And as he's speaking, and he's speaking literally all day long, they get hungry. And so Jesus, what does he do? Feeding of the 5,000 kids. What happens in this miracle? Anybody? Any kid in here? What happens? What happens, Isaac? Exactly. He takes a kid's lunch and says, hey, how much do you have? And he says, well, I just got like five loaves of a little bread, and I got a couple fish. And he says, perfect, let me see it. And what does he do? He, he changes that, and he ends up feeding five to 20,000 people based off one kid's lunch. And these people were amazed. Not only did they hear about the miracles that Jesus did, now they experienced one firsthand. And they thought, man, this is who we think it is. This is going to be good, right? If that guy can take a boy's lunch and make it into a buffet, what can he do with other things? What can he do with my wallet, right? Hey, God, I got five bucks. Let's see what you can do with that, right? We'd be all in here like, baller, right? We're walking around with Air Force Ones or whatever, right? And so that's what they wanted Jesus to do. How can you make us more wealthy? How can you make us more powerful? What could you do with our reputation? What could you do with our country? He's going to be the king. And how could they blame him, right? Wasn't he the foretold king? Well, yes. But Jesus wanted to change their minds a little bit. Because Jesus, he did these miracles not just to prove that he was going to to be an earthly king or that he was a good teacher. He did them for one of two reasons. First, he did miracles to authenticate the character of Jesus and his his relationship with God. That That was the main reason why Jesus did miracles. And the other is to authenticate the message of Jesus. So to authenticate the message of Jesus and the character of Jesus. That's why miracles were done. It wasn't to make the the life of these people more comfortable. 
It wasn't to make it so their bellies were full or that they could rest better at night. That wasn't it. It was to authenticate the message of Jesus and the relationship uh, between him and his heavenly father. So Jesus wanted people to see him differently, not just as a teacher, not as a philosopher, not as a prophet, not even as a king. He wanted to see him different because all these things, these are, these are finite beings. They all have an end. But Jesus is saying, no, no, no. I'm not going to die and be done. I, I'm more than that. I am God in the flesh. And so these people had read about this God in the flesh. And Jesus was now here and standing in front of them and teaching them. And the disciples were all on board with it. They were excited. So let's get back to the, to the passage a little bit. It says, after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. This is Jesus, and often he did this. Jesus would have an incredible day, and then he would go and spend some time alone. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was long away from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. So who has ever paddled in a, a river or on water, and the wind is coming against you. Who's ever, raise your hands, who's ever done that? It is tough work, right? It's not fun. It's not like you're out there having a jolly old time. You're now, actually, there's a little bit of panic, right? You see shoreline, and the waves are coming against you. The wind is coming against you, and you're like, I got to get there. But now it's twice as much work, and it's, it's going to take twice as long to get there. And so Peter... Uh, he, he knew what he was in for. Peter grew up on the water. He knew what time to go out onto uh, the sea. He knew what time not to. He knew that uh, you had to have certain equipment, proper equipment, or else you would drown. And we, we teach swimming lessons and all kinds of stuff around here, but back in the day, a lot of guys, even if they grew up on the water, they didn't know how to swim. And so there is a real threat of them going out on the water. But did they have a choice? Not really. What does it say? Jesus did what? He made them go. So they said, all right, we got we to decide. Are we going to trust God and go? Obviously, they did that. And so uh, Peter, he's knowing that this might not be the greatest idea, but I also have seen God work in a lot of pretty amazing things. So I'm going to trust God. And so it says, they were... It, the waves, uh, they were beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch, which was about 3 a.m., so it means Jesus talked literally all day long into the evening. It was pitch black at this point. 3 a.m., he came to them walking on the sea. Now, let me give you a little background. Uh, they thought it was a ghost, right? They were miles out. It says their journey was about a three mile from point A to point B was about three miles on this boat. And they were out in the middle of the sea in the middle of the dark and they see a figure walking on them. Now, <laughs> I don't know about you. I would be freaked out, right? How many of you guys honestly would say I'm freaked out? All right, you guys who aren't are like, yeah, I wouldn't be freaked out. Yeah, right. I don't believe you. I would be freaked out, and I'd be like, all right, I'm seeing things, and I'd be like, guys, hey, uh, Matthew, you see this? Like, 
you see this dude, or am I just hallucinating here? They were li- literally seeing a guy on the, on, walking on the water. And back in the day, they used to think that if someone died, like drowned in the water, that they would come back and, and hover on these waters. And so what was happening was uh, these thoughts, these cultural thoughts were coming into them going, maybe this is someone who's coming back to haunt us. And they were freaked out. So let's keep reading. It says, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. (laughs) And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter, who was kind of the bold one, kind of brash, right? He said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on this water. And Jesus says, what does he say? Come. Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on water to Jesus. Jesus responded with a single word. He didn't give him a big explanation why he could trust him. He gave him one word, and he said, come. That's it. Come. Do you trust enough to get out of the boat when Jesus says come? It's it's hard. But Peter climbs over the boat. Let me tell you about this boat a little bit, too, because sometimes in our minds we think, like, this boat is this huge old ship. It's really not. I actually had the privilege to go to Israel uh, about 10 years ago, and we walked the Sea of Galilee where this story is taking place. And we were able to look, and you could actually, actually see across to the other shoreline, but, I mean, it was still like five miles across, six miles across. But you could see it, and, and we sat, and we ate bread, and we ate fish along the sea, and it was pretty cool. But a lot of things happened around there. Jesus' ministry all happened right in that area. But there was a boat that they found back in the 1980s that was deep down in the mud, and they, the archaeologists dug it up, cleaned it off, and it's on display. And this is what it looks like. Okay, this is a boat that is kind of a typical fishing boat, and they carbon dated it back to first century which would have been the time of Jesus. Okay, this was a typical fishing boat. Obviously, it's lost a few things uh, since then, but the size of this, which many people believe that this is a pretty accurate uh, picture, is about 27 feet wide, or long. Okay, so it's not that big of a boat. A lot of boats might have had had a sail put on it. They had oars as well. And um, so this is a replicated uh, picture here, the next picture, of what a typical fishing boat back in Jesus' day would have looked like. So imagine there's 12 dudes sitting on this boat, and now there's waves crashing in. The winds are coming, and Peter, any of the fishermen are going, we're in trouble. Because these waves, there's record waves on the Sea of Galilee that get up to 10 feet tall. Okay, that's the size of this basketball hoop right now. Okay, imagine that going over the top of that. Are you going to be afraid? Man, I would be terrified. And these guys are going, we're in trouble. And maybe some of them didn't know how to swim. And they're like, I, if I go down, I'm done. I'm not swimming anywhere. And they probably all would have drowned if they, didn't, uh, if they went overboard because they were miles out from shore. And so they're terrified. And then they see a guy walking on water. Pile it on. Might as well make this like one horrible night. And so... Uh, so Peter gets out of the boat. He releases his hand off of the safety, 
and he's now standing on water. He's only the second person in all of history to ever walk on water. Now, kids, superpower, how many of you guys would love to walk on water? Right? No? None of you guys? Some of you guys? Okay. It would be pretty cool to be walking on water, right? And uh, Peter actually had experienced that. He releases the safety of the boat, releases his hand, steps into water, and his eyes are fixed on something. What is his eyes fixed on? It's fixed on Jesus. And he knows that guy is going to rescue me. He's going to save me. Waves are crashing all around him. He's getting wet. He's getting hit with the waves. But then all of a sudden, something happens. Peter starts to doubt. And once Peter starts doubting, he starts sinking. And now he's sinking deep into the darkness of the sea. If you guys have ever been on water and it's pitch black, it is eerie. And you don't know what's under there. And now Peter is sinking. And he's going down. But man, he'd already come so far. He said, please, give me a sign. Jesus says, come. All right. And he literally gets out of the boat, two feet out, takes his hand off, and he starts walking. He came so far. So why, why would he even doubt? Well, that doubt was a seed that was planted, planted in his mind, right? Isn't that what happens? We get seeds that are planted in our mind. So he bought into a lie. This lie is a lie from Satan. He's the one who puts these thoughts in our minds, these, mind, or these uh, thoughts of doubt. Think about how Satan works, right? Going all the way back to, the, to Genesis in the garden. What did he do? What was his main tactic with Adam and Eve? He planted a seed of doubt. Did God really say? Right? And once that that seed of doubt materializes, it turns into an action. And that action uh, is a result of fear. And fear is, can I really trust this God? Can I trust what God is going to do in my life? Can I trust in what he says? Adam and Eve did the same thing. Do we really trust in this God? It's just us and him and Satan. Do we really trust what he's, that he has our best in mind? And Peter thought the same thing. As he was, had his eyes originally fixed on, Pete, on Jesus, he got out of the boat, but then that seed of doubt came in. And he started to have fear, and fear is what sank him. So oftentimes that happens in our own life, and we question God's love. We question his power, his grace, his mercy, his goodness, and even his existence. Does, is, is what I believe in even true? So what does doubt do? It leads to fear. And fear is deceit, and Satan is the deceitful one. He stirs up these waters in our heart of fear. And Jesus even called the def, uh, devil the father of lies in John eight forty four. And I think that's part of why in Jesus' prayer, uh, the Lord's prayer, it says, he asks, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, right? Because we're tempted when those seeds are planted in our mind. Hey, you're not good enough. Hey, you do deserve this. All these different things that Satan, his tactics are in our life. Uh, 
and we go, hmm, now we have a choice. Are we going to follow God? Are we going to trust in God? Or are we going to do our own thing? And that's called temptation. And often when we're temptate, tempted, tempted to fall for this as well and believe the seeds of doubt, we are believing in lies. You know, there's been times in my own life that I've had seeds of doubt. You know, when uh, high school I was mocked and ridiculed for being a Christian, and I thought, is it worth it? Some of you guys might be in that stage, high school, middle schoolers, high schoolers, right? You guys are like, is it worth it to be a Christian? I could do whatever I want, and no one would say a thing. But as soon as I say, I trust in this Jesus, then they're like, freak, weirdo, loser, you know, goody two-shoes. And you're like, ah, do I want that, right? There's also been times when my dad, he got a, a disease and ended up dying. And I remember praying we literally prayed for my dad when we were in Israel that he would be healed. And I thought, God can do this. My faith is strong. My dad's faith is strong. My brothers, my sister, my mom, our faith, our faith was strong. But guess what happened? My dad died. And I thought, God, are you there? Is it worth it? Can I trust you? My faith is pretty weak right now. Right? My wife and I, we went through some pretty tough marriage stuff for a few years, and I thought, God, I don't know if it's worth it. I've prayed. We're still in this crap together. It's tough. But what did God do? He came through. Each time he showed me that, listen, you may have a, a path for your life, but I have an even better one. And I may have thought, like, my faith is, is weak, because it, God didn't answer the prayer that I wanted. But God's saying, no, trust me. And you guys have done the same thing. I know story after story after story of you guys who are sitting in this room. We have outpost stories for a reason. And it's to show the faithfulness of God. And we can read about it and say, thank you, Lord. Right? And your faith can be strengthened because of someone else's story. And I want that for your guys' life too. You guys are sitting in here and you're like, man, this is my first time to church in a long time because people failed me. Church people failed me. My parents who followed Jesus failed me. My friends, they failed me. Everybody around me is failing me, right? Maybe your job, you're in the middle of a crisis in your work and your business isn't uh, successful. And you're going, can I trust you, God? And I'm telling you, you can't. I'm telling you from my own experience, my story you can trust God. He is worthy to be trusted. There's a scripture in James 1.6. It says, He who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Are you going to be one who's blown and tossed by the waves? Are you going to be one who uh, goes whichever direction the wind blows? Are you going to say, no, Jesus is who I'm looking at? Saying, there's a saying that says, fear is unwarranted where Jesus is present. Pretty powerful. Let me say that again. Fear is unwarranted where Jesus is present. Think about that. When do we have fears? When do you have fears? It's when we say, God, we've got this. It's on us. We got this. You back off for a little bit. Right? But I want you to remember one thing. Jesus' prayer, deliver me from the evil one, that's what Peter says as well. He says, Lord, 
save me. As he's sinking, he reaches a hand and says, I got nothing left. I got no other options. No one's thrown me a donut from the dinghy. Like, I need help, right? And he reaches a hand and says, Lord, save me. And what does Jesus do? Let's go back to the text. It says, but Peter, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when, you got into the, or when he got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So think about that. Peter is now on the water, and he's sinking down into the depths, and he is terrified. Right? It's a moment of desperation, and uh, some of you guys have done that as well. You've gone into your prayer closet, you've gone into uh, your basement, wherever it is, and you've had a moment of desperation, and you're like, God, if you don't show up, I'm done. I don't trust you anymore. But what does God do? He doesn't uh, get over Peter and say, come on, buddy, keep swimming. Right? He doesn't say that. He's he immediately, says immediately, reaches out his hand and grabs him. And as he grabs him, Peter now goes, ah, oh, that is my Savior. And he reaches out his hand. It's an amazing picture. He doesn't just give Peter his word. He gives him his hand. Now, they get back into the boat. They're still out on the sea. Peter's wet. He's cold. He's disappointed in himself. There's probably some guilt, like, why isn't my faith strong enough? Some of you guys might have thought that as well. Why isn't my faith strong enough? I don't have faith like that guy or like that gal. Why isn't my faith strong enough? Because I keep going through these things over and over and over and over. But why can't I just trust God like they trust God? Peter might have been thinking the same thing. He might have been like, man, I don't trust God like I should. I'm wet because I didn't trust God. I'm sitting in the boat, I'm cold. What are my, the rest of the disciples thinking, right? He just said I had little faith. These guys are now looking at me like, loser, right? Pretty disappointing moment there. But then something happens. The wind cease, and they realize, we've seen this before. We've seen Jesus calm a storm before. And, and there's something different. You know what they say? It says, they worshipped him, and they said, truly, you are the Son of God. They probably thought about these other passages in the Old Testament, like Psalm 18.6. that says, he reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. Psalm 69.1-3 says, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths. Where there is no foothold, I have come into the deep waters the flood engulfs me. But then they start thinking about other things. They start thinking about other prophecies. And, uh, and they say, truly, you are the son of God. You know, I, w I want to uh, think about this a little longer. You know, Jesus, he reached and gave Peter a hand. But what is he giving you? Right? He's not giving you a hand. He's giving you both. He did that when he died on the cross. When he took your sin upon himself onto that cross, he gave you both hands. And he did it immediately, as it says. And today you have the op opportunity to trust in God. And it's immediate. 
You don't have to muster up the courage and muster up all this faith. God has already done the work of the cross by giving you both hands. It's pretty amazing. And that's why they say, truly, you are the Son of God. You know, this is the first time that that phrase is used, the Son of God. Before, they kept calling Jesus the Son of Man, the Son of Man, the Son of Man. And something clicks on their mind. He's not just the Son of Man. He's the Son of God. This is God in the flesh. So as the story wraps up, they get to shore, you know, and the climax of the story, you guys would say, oh, yeah, it's when Peter steps out of the boat or maybe when Jesus was in the distance or maybe when the calm, the storm was calmed. But I think it might have been when they realized that he truly was who he said he was. In Mark, it says that the same uh, story, that they were amazed and utterly astonished. The disciples confessed that Jesus was God. But what happens when we go through this? Man, we're so fickle. We're roller coasters, right? We say on one hand, God, we trust in you 100%, but I'm going to take care of this, right? I'm going to do this. And we go back to it and say, I trust you over there in this arena, but you stay over there because I'm going to take care of it over here. The disciples confessed that Jesus is the Son of God, but was their confession greater than their trust? And is your confession greater than your trust? In Mark, it states that the disciples' hearts were then hardened. It's an interesting passage. What happens when we get this really excite, this excitement and we go, oh, we trust God? Slowly, if we don't continue to fix our eyes on Jesus, our hearts will slowly harden to his goodness, to his love, to his compassion, to the things that God is truly about. And we go, eh, I don't know if I can trust you. We forget what Jesus just did in our own lives, and we go, eh, I don't know if I can trust you. And who is pulling us this direction? The evil one. He's pulling us, saying, you can't trust him. Forget what you saw. Forget what you felt, because he's not to be trusted. But I want to tell you that Jesus is a God worth following out of the boat how do we strengthen our faith? How do, we, how do we fix our eyes on Jesus and continue to do it? In Romans 10, 17, it says this. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We dedicate ourselves to daily devoting. We talk about that. That's our first core covenant or core value here at Outpost. We devote daily to God's word. We study God and talk about God, about all these different things. God gave us a Bible to show us uh, how he is trustworthy, not just now, but also in the past. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, as Hebrews says, right? Psalm seventy-seven, eleven says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord, yes. I will remember the wonders of old. We have to remember what God has done. I want you to place yourself uh, in your own story before Christ. Who were you? Probably not a person that you want to even remember. You don't want to go back to that, to despair, to loneliness, to selfishness, to being so prideful, right? That's who we are before Christ. But I want to say, Jesus is worth following. He's worth getting out of the boat for, and he's worth saying, truly, you are the Son of God. So as the team comes up for this uh, last song, I want you guys to know that God loves you, and he wants you to trust him fully. Whether it be a work situation, a relationship issue, we have a lot of relationship issues. 
We, we, we talk about them a lot. We talk about them to our friends, but we never go to them and say, I trust God enough that even though you and I aren't good, I trust that God's going to be in this situation. Or at work, you know, you're like, ah, I work with a lot of non-believers. I don't know. I'm going to trust God enough to, to step out, to risk my reputation so that they know this Jesus that I claim to love. I want you guys to, be, to have that freedom as well. 